Um, my son uh, sent me a text today about 10.30, um, and in it he simply said, 2,000 years ago Jesus would be hanging on a cross right now. And for some reason it just hit me um, as I read those words and just really thought about that, that yes, About 2,000 years ago, at that moment, if we were in Israel at that time, at 10.30, Jesus would be hanging there. And much has been said about what Jesus said while he was hanging on that cross. The Bible records just seven statements that were made by him. All of them were nine words or less. Very short statements. Understandable given the agony that he was suffering given the struggle with asphyxiation that comes with hanging upon a cross. He suffered much then. And among those seven phrases, we're given a glimpse into the heart of our Savior. We see the heart of Jesus and His heart of mercy right after being lifted up and dropped into the ground. He prays to the Father and says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We see Jesus' heart for the lost when he speaks to the criminal right next to him and tells him, truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. We see Jesus' heart of compassion when he speaks to John, the apostle, and tells him to care for his mother. When he says to his mother, woman, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. We see Jesus' heart that's in agony as he bore our sins in his body and cried out to the Father and when suffering rejection under his wrath, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see Jesus' heart of humanity when towards the end he declares, I am thirsty. And we see Jesus' heart of faithfulness when he cries out, it is finished. And finally, his last words were, Father, into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit. These seven statements reflect much about our Lord, and tonight I I want to draw your attention to one of them. In fact, I want to draw your attention to one single word that was in one of those statements which Jesus gave, a single word in the Greek language. This word is probably the most, if not the most, important utterance ever given in history. One single word on this word hinges the very meaning of our existence. Upon it hangs our eternal destiny. Encased within the single word Jesus proclaimed on the cross is the Father's redemptive plan. In that word, Jesus declares the destruction of Satan, the power of sin destroyed, and this world, which is against God, overcome. Upon this single word is the final declaration of the work of God in human flesh. And without this word, life has no meaning. Without this word, life has no hope. Without this word, you and I are doomed to hell. And it's this one word and in this word that Jesus really captures the essence of his entire life. The very purpose of why he came. So with that, I'd like you to turn to John 19, where we will look at this single word spoken by our Lord as He hung upon the tree. We will begin in verse 14 of John chapter 19, and we're picking up the account when Pilate was being harangued by the Jews, by the leaders, to give Jesus over for death. Pilate remained unconvinced of his guilt, but gave in to the pressure. We pick up the account in verse 14 of John 19. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour, and 
he, that is Pilate, said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They therefore cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then delivered him to them to be crucified. They therefore took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, with, and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross. And it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore this inscription, therefore this inscription many of the Jews read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. They therefore said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but there were, standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have read these words of your crucifixion and Lord, seen them in every one of your Gospels. And God, I pray now that as we reflect on what you said there, and especially the last thing you said there here in John's account, that, that God, you would open up our mind and our hearts to the wonder of all that you have done, to the, the purpose of your coming. Lord, I pray that if there are any here who don't know you, don't understand that purpose, that tonight would be the night, God, you would open their eyes to the wonder and amazement of, of this act of mercy on the cross for our sins. And it is in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's about 6 a.m. in the morning. Pilate passes sentence that Jesus would be nailed to a cross, a death reserved for traitors, insurrectionists, murderers, those that were the most hated in society. The perfect man... God incarnate would be murdered without cause. It takes about three hours between that decision by Pilate and 9 a.m., which is when Jesus was actually nailed to the cross, according to Mark. And after journeying probably less than a mile or so from Pilate's court to Golgotha, Jesus is lifted up in shame for all the world to see. Satan's trophy on display. The Son of God degraded, abused disbelieved and rejected. 
About three hours later at noon, Matthew tells us the sky grows dark. God's judgment, the Father falling upon the Son as the sin of the world is placed upon Jesus. And for three hours, Jesus hung there, suffering the wrath of God for sins that Jesus never committed. None of us will ever know what Jesus endured those three hours. We will never know what it feels like to be the God-man and endure such a thing. And according to Luke, at about 3 p.m., we near the end when Jesus feels abandoned as he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John records for us at this point in John 19, 28, what was in Jesus' mind after this. Jesus realized that all things had been accomplished. It says, him knowing all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the Scripture, said, I'm thirsty. Now, Jesus declared His thirst in fulfillment of likely Psalm 69, 21, and perhaps His throat was dry, being uh, hung on a cross without anything to drink, labored breathing. Jesus had one more declaration that he wanted to make. And so the sponge was brought up to his mouth, brought moisture to his throat. And immediately upon receiving that moisture, he cried out for all the world to hear, It is finished! Three words in English, but only one in Greek. Tetelestai was his proclamation. This was not the cry of a victim either. This was not some man who said, finally I'm dying. No, this was the cry of triumph. It was a cry of victory. For in that one word, we have the mark of God on human history. In that one word, God secured for all time salvation of those who would believe in Christ. And though it is a single word, it contains volumes of meaning. Spurgeon said of this word, it's an ocean of meaning and a drop of language. Tetelestai comes from the Greek word teleo, which simply carries the idea of to carry out, to accomplish, to fulfill, to complete, to consummate. And what was Jesus declaring that he had completed? What was it exactly that he said he was accomplishing? Accomplishing Was it the fact that he was simply dying, that he had lived his life and it was now over, now it's finished? No, it's much more than that. Jesus was proclaiming much more than that. He's saying here that the cross didn't just happen. It wasn't some course correction in the middle of Jesus' life as he realized he was being rejected and shunned by the leaders, the people he had come to to save. This wasn't something that had just come up that became he was a victim of circumstance. It was not anything like that at all. No, it, it was part of a plan. The cross was a mission that God the Father had put Jesus on. In fact, Peter declared in Acts 2.23 that Jesus was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It was the Father's will from day one, actually before day one, that Jesus would go to the cross. In fact, the cross was the aim of His life. He said it Himself in Mark 10.45 that He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus came with a purpose. And dying on the cross was the culmination of that purpose. A purpose which Jesus Himself knew long before. This wasn't new to Him. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And He spoke of it often. In fact, just a week earlier, before entering Jerusalem to the wave of palm branches, Jesus said in Mark 10, 
Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. About a year earlier, we read in Mark sixteen twenty one. from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Even at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, do you remember the first words that we heard from John the Baptist when he saw Jesus? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus himself said not long after that in John 3, as he was speaking to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. You know, even at 12 years old, Jesus knew he was on a mission. In Luke 2, you remember when his parents were looking for him and Jesus had stayed back in the temple? And then his parents arrive and Jesus says, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house or about my father's business? He knew he was on a mission. At eight days old, Simeon said of Jesus in Luke 2, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Even at conception, the angel told Joseph in Matthew one twenty one that Mary would bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Even the very moment that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, Jesus was on a direct path to the cross. He was to save mankind from sin. But Jesus' mission was even revealed before that. 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah spoke of it in Isaiah 53 when he said, But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. He poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. And we can go even further back to just after the fall. In Genesis 3.15, when God declared to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall crush you on the head and you shall crush him on the heel. And beginning with that moment when Jesus' heel was crushed, nailed to the cross... That was the beginning of the end for Satan as his head would be crushed by that same cross. And even before then, before time began, before the foundation of the world, God declared this plan. We read about it a few times in Ephesians. Paul says in Ephesians 3, Through the gospel, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So do you see that Jesus' journey to the cross didn't begin on the Via Dolorosa? It did not begin even after the Last Supper, nor on Palm Sunday, nor even when He was born. But from before His birth, Jesus was on a mission. From His birth, before the beginning of time, Jesus was shot like an arrow into human history. His trajectory with one purpose, with one aim. The target was the cross. And His aim was to glorify the Father by living a perfect life and by dying a death for the redemption of sinners. 
He did that because our sin, beginning with Adam and all the way to today, every single person in humanity except Jesus has sinned against God. And like a large boulder rolling down into a bottomless pit, so we too were rolling down, sliding into hell. But God sent Jesus to suffer His wrath for our sin. God had a plan. And the Son of God carried out that plan. And at the moment it was done... As he hung upon the cross, he realized all had been accomplished that he had been sent to do. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Tetelestai! It's done! It's finished! It's accomplished! He had done all the Father had sent him to do. In fact, the night before, in his prayer to the Father in John 17, Jesus said in verse 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you had given me to do. Jesus lived 33 years of a sinless life and then shed His blood as atonement for our sin. The Bible says that any who would confess their sins and seek Christ's forgiveness, He will forgive. For those who have done this and placed their faith in Christ and His work on the cross, the Father is never going to say to you, I can't save you by the death of my Son, for I'm not satisfied by His work. No, the very statement to Telestai says that all has been done to accomplish what is needed for your forgiveness. And so as we reflect tonight on Jesus' work of completion, two thoughts come to my mind. The first is relief. I am relieved. (laughs) Because nothing more is required. I don't have to add anything. I don't have to do anything in order to secure salvation. Jesus completed what was necessary to be the perfect sacrifice. He is the great high priest who paid it all, and nothing can be added. Nothing at all can be added. And that is a relief. Because just like no one would dare to to take the Mona Lisa out of the frame and take crayons and markers and try to doctor it up and make it look better, in the same way no one could or would dare seek to improve upon Christ's work on the cross. And what works could really accomplish that? What works could actually match or achieve or surpass the work Jesus did? No, they would be just like crayons and markers. It's impossible. No, it is finished and we can be relieved. You can be relieved that payment's been made for your sin. Nothing more needs to be done. God's wrath has been appeased. We've been cleansed for those who put their faith in Christ. Hebrews 10 articulates this clearly. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering... He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Brothers and sisters, that brings me relief. The second thought that comes to my mind when I consider Jesus' word that it is finished is gratitude. Gratitude for Jesus' faithfulness to the Father and for His perseverance. He stayed the course. He did not turn away from it. He persevered and lived this life on this earth for over 30 years without sin. And think about that. He submitted himself to sinful parents, to sinful leaders, to a sinful government. 
He endured ridicule, rejection, humiliation, name-calling, even by those in his own community, even within his own family. Jesus suffered torture, shame, and the injustice of crucifixion, a shameful death on a cross. And when he had done all that he had come to do, he declared that all was accomplished, that it is finished. And then, as John notes, he lowered his head and gave up his spirit. But as he lowered his head, he did not lower it in defeat. He lowered it in triumph. The same word is used for the idea of putting your head on a pillow. He could now rest. Praise Jesus for enduring to the end. Jesus did not fear death. And because he did not fear death, we now no longer need to fear death. It reminds me of a story of a boy and his father who were driving uh, down the road and a bee flew into the window. The boy was uh, deathly allergic to bee stings and was terrified. And the, the father grabbed the bee quickly, held on to it, and then let it go. And as the bee again flew by the boy, he was again terrified. But his father said, son, don't be afraid. And as he did so, he opened the palm of his hand and his son saw the bee stinger in the palm of his hand. In the same way, Jesus' death has taken, his death has taken away death's stinger. We no longer need to fear death. Christ's finished work on the cross has removed the fear of death for those who place their faith in him. To Tetelestai. It's a beautiful word spoken by a beautiful Savior. Praise God that Jesus persevered, that he completed all the Father had given him to do. It's indeed finished, and our natural response is to thank him, our natural response to be to praise him, to honor him. Lamb of God, you came to die, to tell us die was your cry. With this word, heaven's gate was raised. Lord, you deserve our songs of praise. Amen. You know, Jesus did his part on Friday. The Father will do his on Sunday. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you accomplished all that the Father called you to do. And I am so grateful that you did not deviate, that you were committed to obeying the Father, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And Lord Jesus, we know tonight is a night we remember that death and we remember that all it signified and we remember all that you accomplished in that work of living a perfect life that you might grant us your righteousness and take our sin upon you as we would repent and believe in you. And Lord, we know that, that none of this would have meaning or significance or truth without the resurrection that we look forward to on Sunday. And Lord Jesus, uh, words cannot express what you've done for us. And Lord, as we sang earlier from that song, that sacred head thou wounded, that Lord, we offer our praise to you and our thanks and ask that you would be pleased, even now as we sing of your cross. Lord God, be pleased with our hearts, be pleased with our desire to respond in relief and in gratitude to you for all you've done for us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.